The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Welcome into the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from drumfactordirect.com. This is episode 21, or uh, it is actually episode one of season two. So thank you for listening to the first 20 episodes. I figured after 20, I should probably end the season, switch it up. So this, this season is going to be similar conversations. Um, the concepts seem the same, but the only difference is I'm not going to ask about the first snare drum necessarily, but I'm going to talk about ask every guest what is the one piece of gear they can't leave the house without. So this week, I'm kicking off the new season with the great Kenny Sherritts. Kenny Sherritts has been a professional drum tech for, well, it looks like it's been over 20 years. He's been on the road with Stevie Wonder, Rihanna, Janet Jackson, Puff Daddy Train, Elvis Costello, Kelly Clarkson. He's tech for Kenny Arnoff, Stanley Randolph, Lil John Roberts, Aaron Spears, Chris Johnson, Boots Green, Mike Urbano, Rex Hardy Jr., Pete Thomas, and he's currently out with great Mickey Hart with Dead & Company. So as a as a, um, a hobbyist drum tech here in the studio, I had a lot of questions for Kenny. Uh, he doesn't hold back, so this is a this is one to take notes, maybe listen back multiple times. Definitely go to his YouTube channel and check out some of the free videos he's put up. A lot of great stuff on tuning and mic placement and all of that. Also go to KennyHSherrits.com if you want to book a lesson with him. And he has some downloadable or streamable lesson packs uh, packed full of information. So let's just get right into it. Kenny Sherrits. Let's get drum nerdy. <laughs> all right. I, um, I'm really excited to talk to you because I have so many questions to ask. As a, as, as a professional drum tech, I feel like you are doing all day, every day, the things that I do in my spare time here in the studio. So uh, I want to dig right into it. The first thing is preparing for a tour as a professional drum tech seems I don't comprehend. Like when in the process a band books a tour, you get the gig on the crew what do you how do you get involved from there what's the preparation like what do i do to prepare for the gig man well yeah do you get in like a rehearsal with the band i mean how do you even get to that point when you know what's expected of you well i mean in, in reality the hard part about the gig and this is why it's so hard on your first gig is they expect you to know what's expected of you there's nobody there to tell you what to do and if they do they, it's because they like you they're like dude dude don't do that do this and you're like oh okay cool <laughs> that's funny <laughs> reality is, is is you have to figure about it from a common sense point of view like every time you've had something go wrong at a gig as a drummer don't you wish your tech had the solution right there in the box good bring that mm -hmm. bring that bring this bring that all the things that you think might be the way to either maintain the kit or save the day i've been on a lot of tours where they're like man if only we had xlr to midi ends i'm like i got five sets mm -hmm. what what and these are video guys. I'm like, there you go, guys. You know, you're saving the day having like a, um, if you have a big work box, having like a truss rod adjuster for several different kinds of guitars in your box. It's a win. You make friends. But in general, you want to bring all the things you, you like know you need. And so when you get there, you can figure out what the gig is. Because a lot of times you don't know what the gig is. You walk in, you don't know the drummer, you don't know the, the crew, you don't know the band, and you're, you're expected to kick ass for a moment go. And so you just have to take pictures. I think that's the best way to start this off is if people send you pictures of the rig, you got to start setting your mind to setting that rig up just like that. Now, how you like it, how that is. 
because our instinct is to go, well, I would sit here like that. No, no. How would this driver sit there? How low is their seat? How high is their seat? So when you walk in, you have the time to nail the setup. If you nail the setup, the doors open and also they tell you what's up because the reality is is you'll figure out the gig when you get there you'll figure out if it has triggers or no triggers but you should have a they're going to tell you ahead of time kind of what you're in for but you really don't know until you're in the in the mix of it you know and that's what happens you get called out to a rehearsal and you do rehearsals to prepare for the tour you build the rig you stock the rig you order the stuff you need for the tour from the companies that they have relationships with or help them get relationships with the companies to get the stuff they want use and need and that way you can help watch the budget of your production manager and your band and it helps promote things for the company but keeps the companies in business everybody wins and uh that's kind of what happens when you get brought into a tour from the beginning however a lot of times you just get flown in bro Somebody got sick. Somebody's uh, tech had a ba wife had a baby. A tech's wife had a baby, or they blew it, or they got too drunk, or something like that. And all of a sudden, you're like, "Wow, I'm on a plane going to do a gig. I don't know." Oh, it's show day, <laughs> and that's when your instincts got to kick in. You got to start thinking about being the case and being the drummer. Once you're once you get past, it's about you because it ain't about you. You're gonna be all right. <laughs> yeah, I dig that. So you're currently working with Mickey Hart, right, for a Dead and Company tour. Absolutely, dude. It's so such a blessing. What is the most peculiar thing about his setup that you had to get right? Um, the most peculiar thing I think about his setup is that, dude, I don't care. I, that dude may be a little bit older, but bro, he knows if it's within a sixteenth of an inch off. Mm -hmm. I'll sit down and go, that's not right. I'm like, what? You know, so he forced me to really be meticulous in my setup, which means I got to be meticulous in my setup and tear down. Uh, you know, the Dead & Company are pros. They're wonderful people. They're amazing people to tour with. Uh, they're all really good at their gigs. And so you're stepping into big shoes if you're filling somebody's place, especially when, you know, Mickey's long, lifelong tech ramrod was like the original badass roadie. Just get out there, get her done. I've got a welding iron. You know, like, wow, you just built that out of thin air. Um, but that I think is, brings me to the point of the most challenging thing about Mickey is that he'll, he has a brilliant mind and he'll think of things and then he'll kind of look at you like, well, why didn't you think of this yesterday in preparation of me thinking of this today? <laughs> that's, that's Mickey's mind and not in a mean way. He wants someone who is proactively reactive, who sees what he needs and prepares the place in accordance so his mind can flow free because then, dude, amazing things happen. That's the thing, like when, when he plays with Ramu, you know, uh, which is the electronic part of the wall of drums. With Mickey, you want to prepare the, the environment to where his mind is just at peace. And he's doing his thing. Once he feels that way, when he walks up to Ramu, it, there's some random programming in Ableton where the melodies are there. And they come out the way you play them, when you mm -hmm. play them. And that creates these magical motifs out of thin air that then Mickey and Billy and sometimes O'Teal, you know, craft into these amazing amazing drum and percussion experiences for the audience that the video gets to integrate in audio is all mixing with it making it bigger huge and it's an epic moment you know uh and so for me i think the biggest challenge in is being meticulous about all my setup so his environment is what he needs it to be being on top of him like watching him like knowing uh, what he needs. The, when the for gig tour first started, it was really hot outside. We were doing our first outdoor gig in New York, and he looks at me and goes, Ugh. 
And I'm like, he wants sweatpants. I grabbed up and had sweatpants. He didn't even look at me, see me grab sweatpants. He just put his arm behind me as if he knew that his mental bullet went straight into my brain and told me what to do. That's surreal. <laughs> if you could do that for, for Mickey, you, you know, you're doing the hardest part of the gig. After that, it's just meticulous setup. You know? Was there any tuning concepts that he likes that you were that were unusual for you or anything abnormal no man i mean that's the thing we had the blessing of going to a place called motherland in la like he told me when we started rehearsals and i was auditioned for the gig he goes take me to some cool la drum shops kenny well the reality is there's only a few left yeah there's only a few left and they don't always have the coolest latest world percussion gear in stock they can get it for you and they're amazing people and they had some of the most amazing things that we needed like i'm like oh my god you've got it yay hollywood drum shop mm -hmm. uh, um and same with lone star percussion like man they're all amazing but they don't have the world percussion he was questing for so we went down to motherland i introduced her to him uh i learned about motherland when i was with stevie wonder and then later again with uh, Rihanna, I tapped them for some drums for some of the shows. And they have absolutely the most exquisite inventory of drums straight from Ghana, straight from Bali, straight from the Ivory Coast. The real deal. You know, real goats. You want to pray in front of the drums and thank the person who carved the wood, the tree who gave its life, and the goat who gave its life for this drum. Because it's that real, you know? <laughs> and so we built half the rig out of that. So tuning is a whole new ball game. You know, you're dealing with rope drums. Mm -hmm. But he loves NBC. He loves NBC. So I have the three big drums in the back tuned to NBC and his toms. Word to NBC, but then it worked out better when I went with three blind mice. No kidding. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> Elementary school music paying off. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, man, uh, that's the reality of tuning toms and tuning drums is you want to create a melodic experience for the listener as well as the player and let them take it from there. Uh, I have octobons or D-drum um, uh, decabons up on the top of the rig mm -hmm. and they're both tuned in two different scales. Um, uh, a major uh, triad with a minor seventh on top and a major triad with a major seventh on top. And it's what makes the drums pop and it creates these melodies out of thin air and when they do it with the electronic pads and the big drum in, con in context, you get these amazing melodies out of just a normal uh, B, B major scale. Nice. <laughs> it's a B major scale with an extra seventh. It's it. You know? Did you study timpani or classical percussion or anything? Absolutely. Ah, so you got your relative pitch happening early on. Without a doubt, it's probably one of the biggest and most important tools a drummer can have because it allows you to tune in context to the music you're playing, figure out your places without anyone mocking you, and it also allows you to move swiftly in the studio to understand what the song needs, to give the producer, the artist, what they need. So you look like a superstar and they're like, wow, that guy did it or that girl knocked it out. Mm. Call them back, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, Tiffany definitely helped with that, playing mallets, playing piano. Uh, I'm a songwriter, so, and I always sang back up in my bands. And so it's just, it's part of what I do. Ear training in college, when I went to school, fundamental. Because mm. now I can hear something, sing it, and create an interval out of thin air and I don't need a pitch pipe. I don't need a piano app. I don't need nothing. Just do you like the top head the way it is? Okay, I'm going to put the bottom head here. What about that? A little tighter? There you go. What about that? And it's all, you know, whole steps, major thirds, minor thirds, and perfect fourths, you know, palms. And uh, if you can handle those intervals, those first five intervals, do, re, mi, fa, so, you will win. And again, elementary school.
It's Sound of Music, dude. Watch Sound of Music. (laughs) It's all there. What is a typical day on this tour or any any full production tour for you? Um, On a typical tour, man, it it really depends on the flow of the tour. Like with Dad, they have a little bit more pace to it. They'll do a couple in a row, and then they'll do a day off, and then they'll Mm -hmm. want a day off. So it's a little bit different on this tour. But in general... um, Man, a typical day starts on the bus. You wake up, you're back line, so you're coming in a little bit later so you can get up, chill out, have a cup of coffee, get your focus, get the lay of the land. And sometimes they need you to come dump stuff early. So you just get in there and get it with the team and knock it out for them and get your stuff out of the way. Mm. And then you're reminded for the rest of the day, uh, what's my job? Get out of the way. <laughs> even, though I'm with the, even though I'm taking care of the band's instruments, even though I'm right there with the artists, don't matter. To video lighting, uh, especially the carps who come in early, get maybe an hour and a half nap on a noisy, hot, not at perfectly air-conditioned bus, and then they got to get up and do another eight-hour shift. Come on, man. Get out of their way. Uh, that's been the biggest challenge for the day because they have so much stuff. Everyone's got so much stuff. But, man, once you get that going, then it's time to dump the truck. When it's time to dump the truck, you want to be there ahead of time. You want to make sure that if you can get anything done ahead of time, do it. Like, if I've got the truck and it's open and I can get in there and change heads, I'll do it right there in the truck, bro. Mm. I'll get the stretch on from early in the morning. So when it's time to put them up and put mics in them, I've tuned them right there on the riser. Boom, they're up. The guy puts the mics up. We're done. Mm -hmm. Ready for line check. Uh, but it varies on tours. Some tours, you dump straight to the riser and you get to work. Uh, you build it up. It's done. You're on. You uh, take a quick lunch break. You come back. You do line check. You do sound check. Uh, then you get a quick bite for dinner, and then you get prepped for the show, dumping waters, towels, doing your thing. Knock out a show, and then get out of the way. <laughs> like, you won't be gone in under 20 minutes if you can. If you can be of all your crap in a truck and blocked and driving away in under 30 minutes or 30 minutes or under, you're winning. You know, that's what you want. And then get out of the way. Go take your shower as fast as possible. Get out of the way. And then go to your bus and have some pizza. Nice. <clears throat> So what are the most common things that you end up having to fix or adjust during a show? Minds. What does that mean? (laughs) The drummer is a very unique thing. Sometimes something will bug a drummer and they don't know why it's bugging them. And they look at you and go, what's going on? And you're like, it's this. And you don't even know if that was the right thing, but they go, okay. And they turn around, they focus back on drumming, right? Problem solved. (laughs) No, just the most common thing I, I got to fix is in-ear stuff, man. I mean, just mm. fix stuff. Like a cable didn't get plugged in right or a battery went dead or he got some interference on his line. That's number one. Number two, trigger sensitivity. Man, triggers, whoo, like it's a tech doing what I did for Rihanna and Janet and everything like these. The drummers want the triggers to respond like real drums. Mm. Dead. The producer wants the trigger to only respond if you beat the livid bejesus out of it, and he wants it to respond at one volume level. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way there's no, oh, the snares were up and down in the mix last night. So I've got to find a way to mitigate those circumstances on both sides and find a pocket within which there is some breadth in the snare sound and like really make sure it happens for the player. And in turn, it makes it a much more realistic trigger experience for the listener and the mixer and the show. The hard part is, like, say it was really cold at the beginning of the show, and halfway through the show, it got really hot. Yeah, your trigger settings might need to change if there's a halftime, bro. Get up in there and get in Oh, no, really? Does the sensors get hot? Is that what happens? And Yeah, and everything loosens up a little bit. Or, like, if it gets from, from like, 
uh, hot to really cold, yo, spread them. Spread them a little bit. Give it a little bit more tail because otherwise it'll react all bitter and play all bitter and skitter. And I've seen it happen on shows. I'm like, this is cruel. <laughs> uh, when you're up there programming under your drummer's armpit because somebody opened the back door to the venue and you're like, no. Oh, wow. That is terrible. <laughs> you know, it, those are the two things I find most common that I got to take care of. Things like uh, my water bottle fell over. Mm. Uh, and and other than that, man, you know, it's it, if you did your job right, there ain't much you're fixing during the show. Simple, you know, simple things come undone. Sometimes they do. I tighten everything. Still, heat and ch- cold changes might make metal reaction away where they're whacking on a crash. Come undone. What your job is to see it before it happens. Mm. I was in, I was, uh, what was it? Oh, it, strangely enough, bass drum pedals, they break more often than you would think. Mm. I'm at Live 8. Uh, with Caesar Griffin and Josh Stone, 2008. It's only like 1.6 billion people watching it. <laughs> a small little shindig, and he's playing, and this chill went up my spine because his last beat, he was doing big. The last one didn't sound so good, and I, just something in my gut said this ain't right. And he hit the one, and I could hear it in my bones. The beater came out, and I'm like, how did the beater come out? Oh, I don't no. know. No, it didn't come out. The pedal broke. It shattered. The metal just went up. And I came the beater, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm under there pulling out the thing. I'm like, why did I use Velcro on this pedal? You know, get the pedal in, and off you go, right? And I, the only good thing was it was on the one of a verse in a very R&B, hip-hop-oriented song, so it sounded like he just dropped a beat. You know, it went, yeah, cat, cat, cat. Boo, get go in. And he was packing. It took that long to get the pedal out. Another one in. Tighten it down. Have a good show, buddy. Wow, yeah. like two measures? Bro, that's all I got. I got six seconds in front of 60,000 people or I could be on a plane home, bro. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. It is, man. You know, and so you just, you try to be on as point as you can. So you're paying attention to things like, do you want this lollipop? You know, do you need some gum? <laughs> I want that to be my focus, you know, rather than it's breaking. No, <laughs> true that. How so, do you know when when drum heads need to be changed before they break? Uh, a man. See, I've been blessed in a certain level of my career to be with artists that had a certain budget, and so I'm changing heads on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, my first tour taught me the lesson with Kenny Ernoff. Change them all every show. Oh wow. But like little John Roberts, he hits hard too, but s- snares every three shows because he's using an Emperor X or a PS77. Mm-hmm. And Tom heads three shows, that's it. You know what I mean? So you're changing early, but the way you really know is is, is threefold. One, are there a lot of dents in it? You might want to let it go. Mm-hmm. If you're on a big tour or a decent tour. You know, if you're a local cat, man, grab your lighter, run it over the dents. Do my little breathing the drum trick, let the head kind of breathe itself back out, you know, tune it back up and hold on tight till your budget got some time for some heads, you know. Mm. But if all of a sudden it's not tuning very well in pitch, it's not responding well to your stick touch, it's not doing the things you expect it to do, it's time to change the head. Like Rezos, you, you think, you know, do I have to change them often? Nah, man, you can go six months without changing Rezo if you're playing, you know, three times a week off and on during you know your your regional touring mm-hmm. you know? but if you're on tour 
Yo, those drum hits are getting pounded every night for two and a half hours. So after about after about a month, month and a half, I'll change the resos because it keeps the tone fresh. And you don't notice until you put them on. Mm. But until then, resos last a long time. But as soon as they become bitter or crisp, or when you tune them, they don't go up much, um, it's time to let them go. Same thing with bottom snare heads, man. Yo, if it's crispy, if it's got little poke holes in it, if it's got dents, or you've tightened it so much that the actual bearing edge is coming above the hoop. Oh, yeah. Change that. See, we all done it. We all did it. <laughs> Bro, spring for a head, man. Deliver an extra pizza, whatever. Eat, you know, take one less latte. Get the bottom head, man. <laughs> it's worth it because you're not going to damage your drum and you'll play better. The snare wires won't choke. The drum won't choke and you'll actually play better. All that hard work you do on your technique pays off when you replace that bottom snare head. What about bass drum heads? Do they go a little bit longer? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're playing regionally, locally, clubs, theaters, not not big events all the time, man, you can get away with, again, like Rezo heads. That bass drum head could roll for six months. After six months, there's certain it's going to be out of the box play. The the the, the film of the drum head's going to kind of not be as good. Mm. It's going to get old. It's going to get worn. Um, but bass drum heads, especially front heads, can last longer. The key is not to stretch them too much at the beginning. And in my humble opinion, man, use a use a patch, dude. I know a lot of drummers who don't. They make me so nervous because if you break that head in the middle of the show, I've got to get the bass drum out. And there's a big there's a big castle that dancers come out of a belt around your drum head. And so, am I going to be like one of those dancers? Grab your bass drum and sneak back down to the hole? Surprisingly, yes, that's what's going to happen, bro. I'm going to be all coming out like a deer oh what's going on am i a dancer grab the bass drum in <laughs> maybe bomb one of the head pieces for the moment <sighs> do you roll with spare bass drums how do you deal with that oh my god no i mean I, that would be great i know some tours who do uh i remember after dixie chicks a light fell on a bass drum and crushed it they carried two bass drums from then on mm. Oh yeah, same matching bass drum. And uh, but the reality is, sometimes there ain't space in the truck. It's about budget versus reality. Yeah. If a bass drum head breaks during the show, yo, you know what I'm doing? Duct tape. <laughs> no, no, I'm replacing it. I'm replacing it. Oh shoot! And I'm gonna do it right there underneath his legs. You know what I mean? If they need a way to get through it, if they don't want me to replace it, um, I have these giant foam patches that can help seal a drum head back together, then I, I will probably, if I was going to put tape on it, I'd do the tape across that pad, then tighten it up to the bejesus. And mm -hmm. y'all deal with it. Mm -hmm. I dealt with you. You deal with it. <laughs> only got a surface where the pedal doesn't stick to the drum, you're winning. And I, the patches I use, which are just like really gigantor, like either uh, those gigantor Danmar patches, you know, the ones that are like, or the Aquarian ones are like, I'm a mega kick. Yeah, yeah. Might as well be a silver dot, bro. Mm -hmm. so that'll save you through the song or possibly through the set or at least to the sh end of the show. You know, trust me, if, if it was on one of my big shows, dude, I'm changing that bass drum head. Mm. Sometimes right there underneath the drummer. <laughs> Up close and personal. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wrecked my bike really badly when I was six. You want to talk about that? No, I'm <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up, man. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, let's talk about drum tuning for a bit. Certainly, my friend. Do you have philosophically different approaches for studio versus live? Or is it general? Concept? Absolutely. What are the main differences? 
um in the studio don't be afraid of muffling bro don't go for tone over and feel for you the drummer to play and tone for the drum in the studio and how it's reacting with the song over anything else if you used to be a dude who plays your toms real high and you like them tuned real tight and then you get in this studio and they sound like bongos drop those bottom heads and useful inverted tuning ideas where you like I me mean, like mine it's just a, an idea but it's a concept i have to find in my youtube videos mm-hmm. that helps you understand that in the back in the day a lot of the big band drummers wanted that rebound so the top head was tight then they tune that bottom head real low like a third or a fourth below it or sometimes even more to get the Ah, good trick. Yeah, so if you're a guy who doesn't want, or a girl who doesn't want, who wants the rebound, got to have it in the studio, but your drums sound like timbales, take that bottom head down and use that to your advantage. And also the engineer will be like, word, that's that's cool, man. Uh, can you come back for another session? <laughs> Same thing when you want big, open, you know, if you want big, open, you know, uh, Bright Adams toms, like you're doing a ballad, yo. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, you want that big, deep tuned major third especially if you have a 12 and a 14 go for that deep major third man it's gonna sound like a cannon or even a minor third for the bend but i like the major third better um and then if you got like a big kit of drums especially if you do metal or you're a higher tuned drummer uh, like jim riley or uh todd sushiman where they're really using the rebound of the toms and they got eight toms mm-hmm. eight toms in the studio a whole step isn't a bad thing it keeps a nice clean like a whole step higher on the bottom head keeps a nice clean tightness around the kit gives a little bend to it but not a lot of doom mm. you know so again not the song for not the tuning for a bright adams ballad but it might be the tuning for an upbeat country tune where they want as the fills because mm. in nashville they got a thing called the nashville cloud the nashville cloud is basically taking a whole bunch of lamb's wool and tossing it in the drum yeah so you get the tone of the drum drum still sing but it shut it down it's it's a bigger example of the cotton ball trick where you put a few cotton balls in the drum to be a natural gate so they don't have to hold tight gates in your drums and you can play them and have natural dynamics and big tone without sustained humming while you're not playing them (sighs) that's the worst (laughs) when you're riding your cymbal your four times all i'm singing love (laughs) engineers like god's sake what's going on you know and so without sacrificing it with you know a tape tail on the bottom head you know the cotton ball helps same with the lamb's wool because it gives you that tight punchy nashville sound same with o-rings yo so i went into a studio before i went out on tour and played a session with a cat who had a mid-level pearl kit sounded great 12 10 12 and 14 his big floor tom was a 14 he does these big epic ballads we're doing a big epic ballad so i tuned it low as i go and put his o-rings back on because you know what it sounded great bro mm. he was done with the drum mix in like five minutes he's like check that out wait till i put the grease on tomorrow he spent 30 minutes putting the grease on his way of doing it booyah it sounds like a, a, a straight out of la production why he didn't cry on the stories of my tongue. <laughs> play, bro. Just play. Play. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. 
Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. So the wider the interval, the more dramatic the tone. That's kind of the general... Um, more, it's the way you shape them to sustain. Like if you tune them both even, yo, that drum is going to ring, 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 sing a ding, ding. But mm. something about when you get to the a whole step away, if you get to a half step, it gives you that, whoa, 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 why did you tune me to a half step sound? Yeah, yeah. Then you get to the whole step and it has a certain bite and shut down, but the sustain, it's variable. It's not as rich in tone. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the minor third, uh, which has a certain jazzy blend to it, babe. You know, definitely for the lounge gigs, definitely for a 10 and 14 cocktail kit. Come on, might a third all day long, <laughs> especially if you flip it upside down. Jazz drummers that I've tuned for flip. They're like, oh, my God, that's the L. Jackson sound I've wanted all my life. And I'm like, there you go, bro. Spidey rich in a, in a bucket right there. Mm. You know, And then you get to the major third and e- either which way, upside down or right side up or the bottom hits tighter or lower. Um, man, you get a rich, thick tone that doesn't sustain too much. It ain't too in your face. The attack is pillowy and a bit more warm. If you need more attack, do the lower bottom head. If you want more pillow warmth, especially on ballad toms, go with the bottom head tighter, major third, and that top head tuned lower. Uh, I talked about that in my most recent video that I released at KennyShares.com called How to Tune Small Toms to Sound Like Big Toms. Mm-hmm. 10, 12, 14, 16, all tuned at the lowest range. And then I showed you both a perfect fourth and a major third, how to get it step by step, like get that those tones, and you can clearly hear the difference. The major third was nice and warm, and for small toms, they sure sounded like they were ready to go to the canyon. Man, canyon. But then when you got to the major or the perfect fourth, you could hear the bite and attack in those drums. And that's where like I like the perfect fourth in the studio, but tuned low, tuned high. It's, it's probably going to be too aggressive, too aggressive for most engineers. Okay. You know, but again, try it. The worst thing you do is drop your bottom head a, a half step. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> instead of micro turns, but in the studio, like I said, snare tuning is the other thing, man. Uh, and bass drum tuning is low, low as you can go until you can stand it and find that tone area where you get the depth out of the snare drum and it ain't all crackety crack or... Just go high, get the crack, and put something in there with EQ that gives you body, you know? Oh, really? So you're not a big fan of the mid, mid-tuning mid for snares? Oh, I love the mid-tuning for snares. And if the bottom donk is what you want, that's what you get. But I'm telling you, most engineers find that either super low or super high tuning is the way to go. Now, me personally, like if you're going for the swamp, like uh, I, like uh, I'm just trying to think of like super fat snare tip tones. Man, you want it down in that range. You want it low and fat because it's got spread. 80s cannon sounds like a the, the, uh, gated snare sound. You know, big country ballads, you know. Again, Brian Adams. All the way. You know, it's like a gong snare drum in a cannon. That's why they have the ballad snares. Like with DW has the ballad snare with floor tom legs on it. And the stomps from A&F, man. It's like big cannon snare drum. But then you get into the, like, if you're trying to get an Eric Kretz or a John Bottom sound in the studio, man, somewhere in the middle, like medium to medium high tunings, you want that B flat to C on your top head and then adjust your bottom head in accordance. Uh, you start finding the pop and that donk. But not everybody wants the donk. Some people want the crack like a Dave Matthews snare, like a Carter Beaufort snare, in which case, tighten up. Mm. You know, and, and find your spaces, you know. And again, 
a lot of times the drum will sound great in a, in a, in a studio and sound terrible live or sound great live and sound terrible in the studio. And a lot of the reasons because you didn't tune it for the room, mm-hmm. you know, or for the song. So that super high snare sound, you, you mentioned it, you, have, you get the body through EQ. That was going to be one of my questions. Like, how do you get a really high cracky snare and not have it sound like a tin can, you know? Oh, man, there's a couple of different ways. One, um, perfect fifths from perfect fourths. Like, there's a thing called I like to call diminishing returns on a bottom head. And I think you might have experienced this. I think we as drummers all experience this, where when you tune a bottom head too tight, it chokes up, man. It just mm-hmm. chokes up. And so... I've had one of the things I've done fixing people's snare drums the most was just tuning it down a set of 90 degree turns. And guess what? It's still the same note it was after some 90 degree turns. So I tune it down another set of 90 degree turns and it's still the same pitch. (laughs) See the pain in my face. Yeah, yeah. Now, by the time I get to that pitch, it's usually right on the edge of the next pitch, like just uh, sharp uh, or just flat of the pitch we were at. So I nudge it back up and go, okay, there you are. And they're like, hey, that's got a little juice in it. I'm like, yep, it's still got a little juice. Then I flip the drum over and tune the, the top head a perfect four, like what would be the root of the perfect fourth or fifth with that bottom head? And I find that area, perfect fourth works really, really good for this, of getting a tight, thick, rich snare sound at a higher tuning. Because you drop the bottom head a little bit, the rebound from the bottom head kicks up, you still got, but if, but in the studio, the mic still here is chunkity chunk, 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 chunk. Now, the next couple of ways to get that is also mic placement and extra mics. Like, for example, if you got a 57, there's that little vent thing underneath the cap, and it looks like mm. a spring. You can push on it, but you can't, right? Yep. Okay, so that spring is your bass trap in- intake, a bass intake. So it can cause cross-flow with the diaphragm, and that way you're not jamming all the bass in through the front end and making that diaphragm choke out. So that's why when you put it like in a guitar amp, if you want really, really high metal, you put it straight in, dog. But if you want a warmer country guitar sound or bass sound, you angle it and bring that port in more towards the edge of the speaker. That way you get the brightness of the brightness of the speaker straight in the diaphragm and the warmth coming in beside. It's the same thing on a snare drum. Here's your hoopity hoop. Like if your mic's all the way in there and pointed down, you're just going to get nothing but bite. And that intake is going to be the honk of your hoop. But if you take it back, move it back a little bit and hang that ring right off the back to the shell, like right at the hoop, then you get the ring of the shell coming up off the hoop, the activation of the strike of the drum shell from your from you whacking the head and hitting the hoop, and it comes up through the back of that snare, and then you get a nice angle, and it goes right to the center of the drum. Boom, you got these one-two win. The attack of the drum with all the crispness of your stroke and articulation and the body of the shell. Mm. And if you want more body of the shell... Try another mic. Mic the shell. Mm. You know, another thing that adds depth in your snare sound is the under snare mic, but also an under snare bass drum mic, like the middle of the kit mic to get the greasy grease, just the real deal. And then you just kind of work with the phase until it fits in. And that'll fatten your snare drum full on Foo Fighter style. You'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> dig it, man. We've only been going for 35 minutes. I feel like we've got a couple hours of content. So bass drum muffling, how little or how much? Man, it all depends on the drummer, bro. Yeah, It really does. I mean, I'll be honest, man. I've seen some of the best bass drum sounds come out of a bass drum with no front head, three pillows jammed in it, and a, a, a 112 slightly angled. At mm-hmm. the, and you're like, really? That's it? They're like, yeah, man, check it out. And you're like, wow, that is the best Tejano country bass drum sound I've ever heard. <laughs> Win, right? Win. 
But as far as muffling goes, it, a lot of it depends on the player, but also for players who want that big open bass drum, find a way to have mercy. Like I did a, a video with my friend Brian Christopher Mendez, Mr. How to Play in 14-8 himself, or 13-8 himself. Have you ever seen that video? No, I haven't. Oh, bro, go look up Brian Mendez, How to Play in 13-8. You will laugh until you haven't laughed anymore. It's the funniest thing you've ever seen. Oh, uh, is that the one where he says, yeah, I don't want to, there's a punchline to it, right? One. Two, yeah. <laughs> three, mother! And you're like, ah, ah, it's the best. If you haven't watched it, go watch it because it will clear it up for you. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. I did a video on his technique where he would do the the mute on the front of his 24-inch bass drum head on the front and on the back, and then he would zip-tie them through the head when he put them on. So you just put it on, it Velcros to the backside, stays on your head, and uh, the muffles are in there, but he can have an unported bass drum that sounds like it's got absolutely no muffling. But he did this thing called courtesy and consideration. And what those muffles, those tiny little muffles inside the head that nobody can see, so you can go, I ain't got no muffling. Uh, <laughs> they focus the bass drum just a little bit. Like, uh, there's an old, old technique in rock and roll, both in the studio and live. If you want to get rid of the basketball drum sound, put a sandbag in your drum. If you want to thicken up your bass drum sound, put a sand, uh, I think sounds like a drum did an episode on it. Uh, that if you want to get rid of the basketball sound, put the sandbag in. Mm. Actually, the, the point of it was to add mass to the bass drum sound so it sounded deeper. And then the ring part was just an, an, an extra. Plus, you can tune out a lot of that ring. But that's, that's neither here nor there. Putting a sandbag inside your bass drum will thicken that bass drum up. And then you probably don't need much of muffling. But if you don't put a little control on those front head, a little control on that back head, you are just... Man, you're giving it so much noise that it's knocking everything else out of the mix. Like Bonham, you know, they say, oh, he just tuned. Well, he tuned it up high. He mm -hmm. tuned that bass drum up high, and then the engineers did the work. They say it sounded incredible. It did, but it also sounded big and ringy. Yeah. It worked for Zeppelin, but it may not work for Toto. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's all within context. Like, if you're in Tool and you can have your bass drum wide open, you have an engineer who's like, yeah, man, give me the open bass drum. Do it, please. I love it. Please, God, do it. But I find the most effective thing is a variation of what I did on my How to Build a T-Shirt Pillow video, which is you take a towel, you roll them up, you tape each end to where it fits the shell, each baffle hits the head, then you kind of fold over the center a little bit to make an hourglass, tape it down, kind of like the Evans EQ pad. But I'm telling you, man, just the, 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 the cloth of the T-Shirt breathes. It breathes a lot. You don't have any muffling in it. So the sound goes through it, but it kind of gets broken up in it. Same with the towel. You have all that terry cloth, and it just kind of shuffles out the sound a little bit I've, i use that on i use it on chris chris's bass drum with rihanna and sully loved it and i remember going to the voice we did the voice at the end of 2012 we had just done a, a couple of world tours a whole tv and and tour through europe and we had done 777 we played saturday Night live all the stuff and i show up at the voice and their engineer is a legend and so i just wanted to make a good impression and he comes up and he sees that the holes in the middle just off center of the middle and it's very big like 10 inches because for some reason, whoever designed the Rihanna logo head was smart enough to realize that if there's a giant R on the head, the only place you could put the hole is the center. Had I wish they didn't do a 10-inch hole? Yes, I wish they didn't do a 10-inch <laughs> hole. But they did, or like an 8 or 10-inch hole, but they did. And the guy was like, hey, man. The guy talking to the sound guy was like, hey, man, could you, uh, could you change out that bass drum head? He knows it's going to sound terrible. I'm like, um, this, is he Rihanna? Then no, I can't. <laughs> the logo head bro why don't you just listen to it first he really wants you to change it and i said no please just i've been all around the world bro just just turn out live please just listen 
And so I kicked the kick drum and I tuned it right. And I had it tuned and I had that muffling talon there, nothing else. And it was, uh, it was epic. It was a little 22 and the guy was like, oh, wow. Okay. Snare one. Then I hit snare one. And he goes, really? For real? And he goes, okay, Tom one. And I hit Tom one. He goes, really? For real? Okay. And then he goes to me and goes, hey, man, the engineer uh, wanted to apologize. Could you give him a few minutes to clear the deck? He hasn't had a real drum set here in a long time. <laughs> so again, bass drums, muffling is relative. And bass drum tuning is relative. Where your foot likes it is going to be the most imperative thing for you as a player. However, keep in context that if you like it tight, you're sacrificing bottom end. Now, for like people who blast beat, yeah, there's tightness, and you can tune that front head super low. So we can get the oh out of the front head, and you need the attack. But if you ain't blast beating and, and just blazing on double pedals and you want a bit more beef out of your kick drum, tune that back dead head down a little bit. Tune that front head down a little bit, like to barely above wrinkle and then just go a little higher than that try some different ratios like a major a whole step above on the bass drum or if your back drum head is tight your front head a whole step lower find ways that make the bass drum explode and boom yet still react and control the way you need to because if you got it that big bro you're gonna want some muffling mm -hmm. you're gonna want some muffling how you, you control that in a big old pa oh <laughs> it's feeding back is it <laughs> Your bass drum with no muffling is feeding back, so they had to turn it down so it's barely in the PA. Okay, cool. Have a good show. You know, and that's what yeah. I mean. Like, it's just the truth of what's going to happen on the other side of the board. Drummers don't always know that. It's just what happens. Yeah. You know? What are your thoughts on sympathetic snare buzz? That seems to be the biggest mistake I notice is over tightening snare wires. Oh, okay. So, like. Just the same way you could choke out a bottom head by tuning it too tight, you could choke out your snare drum by tuning it too, your snare wires by tuning it too tight. Now, that being said, like little John Robert, always, Roberts always rode the cusp of choke. Mm. That's where the, the beat is for me. And it was because he could do all the Janet samples and do ghost strokes in between the two, and the resonance of the drum did not fire, so he could keep his trigger settings as loose as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And it gave it that hip-hop tight trap snare sound, right? But... If it, the reality is, if you could take it just under choke, you are opening up the sound of the drum, just like unchoking your bottom head will open up the sound of the drum. The looser your snare wires, the louder your snare drum sound. Now, that being said, you get super low, you're going to need some muffling, but you let that spread go, you've got a Motown snare. you got the superstition snare from Steve. Mm. So just below choking, that's starting point, or where do you normally uh, set it? Man, it depends. I mean, if it's live, you and I both know you got to control that buzz and you don't want the buzz in your toms. Yeah. So you want to make sure it's balanced. You want to make sure it's pretty level, but level isn't always a perfect example of, of a balanced snare wire set. Uh, having the wires not like this, like here's your plates, here's your shell. You don't want them like this, not like this. Mm -hmm. Not like this, definitely not like this. Like this. When they are engaged. And that tends to let the snare wires settle evenly. Once that happens, I, it's really a matter of where you are and what you're doing. Like some people love a little bit of rattle. Some people want that little bit of two or three turns just below choke where the snares are activating a little. You get a little juice out of the toms. But if they're leveled, they won't overbuzz. Now, me personally, if you want to control it and still have sensitivity, just like get it to choke. And right when you feel it choke, just back it down a little turn, nudge it back up so it's going in the strainer, so the tension's going in, so it doesn't back out while you play, and booyah, play that for a while, because inevitably it's going to shake out a little bit after the first song, mm -hmm. and that, that little juice you want is right there. 
But I listened to the rough drums of uh, I want to say it was either Lovely Rita, Lovely Rita, or uh, um, uh, Sergeant Peppers, and it was like the snare rattle. <laughs> and then you realize when they put a little reverb on it and a gate and tightened it up, it became that big fat snare. Before mm. Robert Collins discovered how to make the snare by you know doing the speaker trick thing and gating and compressing the snare. And so it was really an, having that rattle there for some people is important. For country, it could be very important. You know, it gives you the spread of the snare drum and the engineer can put the effects on it and the control on it. They take that sound to create something out of it, you know? Man, crazy. All right, I've got, I've got eight drums here. I'm just going to pick one. And I, if I want to say, what would you do? What would you put on this drum and how would you tune it? Here we go. Oh, quizzes. Seamless aluminum, chrome over... I gotta look away because my monitor's All right. <laughs> We've got a 10 lug chrome over aluminum, seamless shell, superphonic style. Bro, I just had a lesson with a guy on his 8 inch Galaxy aluminum shell. That drum just, uh, the, not the 8 inch, the 6.5 inch version. I have that drum. Yeah. I have that. That drum sounds good at every tuning, but I'm gonna tell you in the studio, especially, there's two tunings that drum belongs at. It belongs at a lower tuning, like an A to a D or an A to a C, or possibly even a G to a D. Um, oh, and it has this beautiful fat spread at that low tuning. You're going to need an O-ring mm. uh, or like a couple of tape tins to control the rattle of the snares. You want that just below choke on that spot where you got the breadth of the snare, but the bottom head's a little looser now, so the snares need to be crisp to react properly. The top head's super juice, and all of a sudden you're all, you're like... You know, just that big fat swap of a disco snare drum. Now you can take it up to the B flat, which I love, which is like like the B flat to B top head is like a, a bottom like tuning. And I'd put a I'd put a perfect fifth on one. I'd take that like a B flat to an F or a B to a F sharp and get that kind of donk, that Eric Kretz kind of thing on it. Mm. And on the top of it, you have a range around C-sharp to F-sharp, C-sharp to G-sharp, where you could just get ridiculous crack, or you could take it up to a D-sharp, G-sharp, and just scare the neighbors, like just get the gunshot, mm. and still have tone out of the drum. Now, these are two things I want to tell you. First of all, with the bottom head, which I recommend immediate ambassador, snare, snare weight, or 300 from Evans, or, you know, Aquarian's medium 300 mil mm. head, uh, don't go past a G sharp. Don't go past a G. Mm. The diminishing returns on a 14 inch drum. Just diminishing returns. It'll take you four sets of 90 degree turns to get to a G uh, to a to an A or an A sharp, and then the drum will just sound like it, you hate it. <laughs> like it knows you hate it. Um, number two, man, you cannot lose with if you want a big open spread sound or a nice just crisp reactive drum in the mid to high tunings. A coded ambassador style, a G1, can't lose. Uh, but my favorite on there, and an Emperor, you can't lose, but really my favorite is a controlled sound or a controlled sound X or the power center reverse dot. It controls the ring of the aluminum. Mm, okay. The aluminum sings. If you know the honk I'm talking You know what honk I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Well, I got another one. Uh, let's do this one. Six and a half. By 14, solid aluminum with 40, it looks like pretty sharp bearing edges. It's a Craviato. Uh, now, a Craviato solid aluminum? No, solid maple. Oh, okay. You said aluminum. I'm like, Did oh I? my God. Solid like maple. 
Now, the beautiful part about that drum is that can sound great at any tuning. Uh, that's because it's wood. It's not so, you know, like in your face. I would tune that bottom head tight, but not too tight again around an F sharp or a G. And then I would explore the range because at a low medium tuning, like around an A, that drum's going to have a nice big thick spread, especially with the moon gel on it. Like give me that tight country snare or again, that Motown snare. You start getting in the mid to the B flat to the C range. Woo, that drum is going to come alive, dog. That's the one that I'd say you put that medium tension tuning on and you could be like, oh, that's, that's the one. That's the one. Because the wood helps contain the donk. And so you get this chunky, thick, along with your donk and your crack. It's that fine line. And that's why that B flat to C. Uh, along with your donk and your crack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do one more. By, one by more thing. By the way, I put in a, uh, a controlled sound X um, or possibly even an, an ST or an, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, an HD dry or a generic dry. If you're a single plier, I put a generic dry on that drum all day long for open really? ear sounds or crisp reactive jazz work. Yeah, because again, man, you just give it the light haircut and that drum will need no muffling. So for a jazzer, you put that a, a B flat to a C, it's right at the edge of tight. You put a perfect fourth on the bottom at the, uh, at the, at the E or the F. And man, you're going to have a drum that reacts and gives you some spangalang, and you can still have sensitive snares, and you ain't going to have to have a moon gel on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the truth. Hello. All right, last one. This this isn't a Black Beauty, but it's a Black Beauty style. Six and a half uh, uh, Black Nickel over brass. Uh, black Nickel over brass. Okay, so again, session with this cat. I'm, I'm, I'm saying these tuning ranges because this is kind of the ranges within which a, a, a snare drum, a 14-inch snare drum, sound good. Mm-hmm. Anything outside of this range, you're starting to get into ranges where like, oh, I got the special effect out of my snare, but for functionality where the head stays on or you ain't choking it to death. Tony Adams once told me the perfect sound for a black, the perfect tone for a black beauty was a G. Now, there's two ways to look at the G, Okay. And he kind of made this point to me, and he was one of my icons and masters of, of lessons that I learned from. God bless Tony Adams. He's just a genius. Love that dude. Uh, is G on the top head and a perfect fourth? Well, you know, you've got a what? G to C. So that bottom head's going to be tuned to C. It's, it's getting soupy. It's soup, soup. That's like gusto soup. You know, but you put that under a microphone in the studio, and every country producer's going to love you unless you want the rifle crack. The funny thing about that G to C is you can crank that up like 90 degrees twice and go up almost an octave, you know, mm-hmm. but, but you can use that range to your advantage and that top head, that bottom head will tighten up with you. And then you only have to b- tighten up your bottom head. But like a C to an F was what I had, like in my video uh, I did on a Black Beauty uh, with an Emperor on it, two ply, one piece of moon gel uh, and, a, and a regular 300 on the bottom. And I had it to a C to an F, and it was somewhere between a rifle crack and the body you're hoping for. Mm -hmm. So when I find that area where it's just almost tight but not too tight, that C to F, C to G, come on. Black dude, sound amazing there. If you want to sound like bottom, Mm -hmm. want that drum. If you like it looser, B flat to F. If If you like it tighter, B to F sharp. And I just it's a great starting point that helps you dial that drum in a little bit more. But I also know that, you know, I had to do, you know, I, I'm sitting there with a the guy who had the original Black Beauty in the studio, you know, Pete Thomas. Mm-hmm. All those recordings with that one Black Beauty, it's legendary. You know, so. so when you say B, are you listening to the overtones? How are you getting the, the note of the head? 
Okay, so, okay, I'm glad you asked. This is great. <laughs> it's, a, it's a multiplicity of things, but I base my theory upon the tension rods being in tune, tension rods on this head being in tune. So in general, they float together at the same. Even if the head cha pitch changes by half step by the time you get to the middle of the head, and the time you get to the middle is half head, they're going to be the same distance apart still. Mm. And sometimes you might have to nudge just a touch on deeper drums, but on a five and, or five and a half inch snare drum or a shorter tom, it's no problem. And with floor toms, I tend to go just a little sharp in the head because you're going to whack it out of tune anyways. Mm. So I want a little bit more lift in the drum. That way, as you beat it out and it settles in, it, it stays in tune. But also because the depth of the drum, you tend to have a little bit more spread. So you want a little bit more lift in the pitch. So it gives you the full pitch of the drum. But I, I tune to pitches by the tension rods. So they're all matched. So even if I'm a little sharp of a B here, I'm also a little sharp of, say, an E here. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I'm equal. The interval is what matters. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be a perfect B. And, I, and that's where I come up with my harmonic, you know, bass. And the reality is I just go with the range of tonings that's sensible for each drum to where it still sounds good uh, and what my drummer likes. Mm. What do you like? What is your, your favorite snare tuning? Oh, man. You know, I was just thinking about that the other day, but I'll tell you, like, right at that B-flat to C is going to be my favorite because I did a Zep Trivi band for the longest time. Mm. It's got enough rebound, but not too much rebound. And when I was, uh, when I first got my Dynasonic six and a half inch, I tuned it around a B to a B flat. And uh, I actually think I had to do a perfect fourth B to E. And every place I played, the engineer would come up and go, bro, what is that snare drum? And I say, it's a Dynasonic. And they say, it's the best snare drum I've ever heard in my life. And I had a control sound or a reverse center or power center reverse dot, mm -hmm. a, a 300 on the bottom. So that it's just, it was just that range of tunings tends to be where I like, but it really depends on the song. And the mm -hmm. drum, I love when on my, my five Dynasonic when it's super tight, but when it's super low, woo! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Especially if you're spangalangin and you want to keep it swampy, you want just a little juice in your goose. Come yeah. on, man. Uh, that's where the magic is, you know? Wow, well, I think I'm learning lower snare drum bottom head might be the move for me to explore. You check it out. And what I'm saying is, like, go down that one set of 90 degree turns. If your head does not change pitch, it's too damn tight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the snares now are going to react more supplely, and everything's going to breathe together a little bit more fluently. And the drum's going to be able to react how it's supposed to react. Man, <clears throat> it's been a master class. Uh, last question. So I'm, this is the, oh, actually the you kind, <laughs> first episode of season two <laughs> of of the drum candy pie. So last season I asked everyone one question. What was your first snare drum? We're at season two. I'm changing it up. What is one piece of gear you will not leave without? You do not leave the house without. Uh, at this point in time, it's my Dynasonic snares, man. It used to be my black beauty, but once I got the Dyna and the warmth of the wood and the theaters, clubs and rodeos and outdoor festivals I'm playing, man, it just wins every time. I think, in a sense, that would be it. But it's it's hard to say. In each department, there's a piece you can't leave. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like these, my ultimate ears, man. I mean, I, these days and age, everything's everything is uh, made better by these, whether they have monitors or not. If they don't have monitors, I go into my click track, and I don't hear how bad that snare sounds. I don't hear how bad the house gear sounds. All I hear is a click and some bass rolling. I'm like, we sound great. We sound great. You know? 
I dig it, man. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> so if anyone wants to take a, a lesson with you, you're, are you still offering those via Zoom? Dude, uh, when I'm home, it's it's full board. The schedule will be up at KennySherrance.com. Um, I, when I'm on tour, I post my days and I'll be off so we can find uh, sensible times, usually afternoon, because I want to make sure the bus is there in time. But uh, we could do, I bring a piano out there and we can help get your kit dialed right there uh, from my hotel room from the road where my brain's all, I'm tuning jams. So I'm in the zone, you know? Uh, and then if you if you can't get hold of me, man, I'm going to be adding more and more and more as we go. I have like 10 shots. I just got to edit them. I'm on tour. I'm busy. Um, but I've been doing uh, streamable lessons at KennyShares.com too. I have a lot of them that are like 10 bucks. And then I have a less a master class that's twenty five and a, a master lesson pack that's like fifty bucks for less than it costs you to go get a drum lesson at Guitar Center for your kid to learn how to play Highway to Hell. You can get a drumming shooting master class from Drum Tech Kenny. Share it. You know, so, there you go. And it's a great way to support my channel, allow me to keep doing what I'm doing. If I get my studio built, they'll all look better, they'll sound even better, you know, but my stuff, I don't have time to lie, dude. I, uh, if it's wrong every day in a row, I go home. I got fired, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I want to have lunch. Yeah. I want to have lunch. So I just got to get it done, you know? And, and remember that, you know, it ain't always about you. As a player, it's about you. If you're a tech or anything else, none of it's about you. Mm -hmm. And within the context of your own playing as a player, remember that everything you love is important, but there are a couple of things that might not be about you. And so when you can do things to help enhance that, that does a thing called bolster your career and get you further. You know, all of a sudden you're making friends with people and uh, finding ways to learn more how to make your craft better rather than worrying about the fact that there's no muffling in your bass drum. <laughs> well, thank you, Kenny. It was great. I'm going to be repeat listening to this one myself a bunch. So uh, thank you. you're way too kind. Thank you for having me on. And again, man, anyone who wants to learn KennyShares.com or my YouTube channel, Kenny Shares, man, check it out. Come on. There you go. Well, there you have it. Man, that one was a doozy for me. I've got to go back and rethink all of my approaches for tuning drums and try some of his ideas. So go to KennySherritz.com, book a lesson with Kenny, uh, check out some of his lesson packs, definitely subscribe to his YouTube channel. And that's it. So we'll see you next week for episode two of season two. Have a good one.